0: Pack your bags and get ready for a different kind of Vegas experience with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Steven Maggi.
1: Well, have you ever looked in a garbage can and seen a bunch of food and go, man, that's going to waste. I wonder if somebody could have used it. Well, the National Geographic has jumped on this. There's a lot more to it than that on a worldwide basis as they look at the high cost of food waste worldwide and the staggering number of folks that could have been fed by it. And the author on this is Elizabeth Roy. Welcome, Elizabeth. Uh, Is it really that bad?
3: It's really, it's worse. (laughs) Yeah, we uh, globally, we're wasting a third of the food that is grown. It's perfectly good food that is not being eaten by hungry people. And in the U.S., it's even worse. It's more than a third of the food we grow. It's uh, 133 billion pounds a year going to waste, and it's valued at $162 billion.
1: The first thing that's so important about what you and the National Geographic Society are doing, I think a lot of people don't realize this. Do you?
3: Uh, no, not at all. Um, people think, I mean, they only think about what they see. They see their plate waste, and they think, you know, I'm full, and there's no penalty for putting it into the trash can, and they're not, they haven't thought, I mean, we've all heard, eat your food, they're starving people in Africa, and the starving people thing is real and important, but another issue is what it's costing us to take um, edible food and um, put it in the trash, um, it's like $1,400 a year, the typical American family of four waste. But also, all the environmental inputs that go into growing food the uh, enormous amounts of oil and the water that it takes to grow the food and the chemicals, the fertilizers, the pesticides, the labor all of that is squandered when we grow food that people don't eat.
1: Well, as scary as these stats are, Elizabeth, I guess the good news is at least that we know that there's a lot of room to improve.
3: Exactly. Yes. Um, the first step in changing anything, I guess, is, is awareness and realizing um, what the problems are. So food is lost or wasted um, all along the food chain from farms through post-harvest and processing and distribution and at the retail and consumer levels. And there's solutions that we that can be employed all along these stages. But since we're talking to People like us here, consumers, um, we can talk about what consumers can do to shrink their their food waste footprint.
1: As I was going through some of the material and so forth, I see the Salinas Valley Solid Waste Authority went through their landfills and kind of looked at some of this stuff. And they have four to eight million pounds of vegetables fresh from the fields. So, I mean, these are... Really good vegetables that are being thrown away. Why do we do that? You know, we hear stories, Elizabeth, all the time about farmers paid to just destroy crops and so forth. What can we do to change all that?
3: Well, we can't really exert that much uh, influence at the farm level, and farms are really the least of the food waste in the U.S. Most of the loss of the waste happens at the retail and consumer end, but farmers. I learned typically overplant by about 10%, and that's like an insurance policy for them. They don't want to come up short on incredibly valuable supermarket contracts, um, and they worry about the weather, and they worry about pests. Um, and sometimes they lose, leave food in their fields. It's called a walk-by because the market is saturated and prices are low, and it will cost more to get the food out of the field than they can make selling it. Um, so that's where some loss happens. But the food at that... Um, I visited a transfer station in the Salinas Valley, and, um, yeah, I saw uh, how many pounds? Well, it was four to eight million in a year, but these are vegetables. They were um, baby lettuces and spinach and salad mixes that were in boxes and in bags, and there was nothing wrong with them. They had been harvested, washed, packaged, but they had been improperly, um, the bags or boxes had been improperly filled or labeled or sealed or cut. And it's just pure economics. They don't have the time. It costs too much money to stop and take the food out of those containers and repackage it, and so it goes into the landfill.
1: (laughs) No, and and there's no system that can get that for hungry people because we know there are people hungry in this country, and not to mention around the world. I mean, it, it sounds to me like there's really it's shameful that we have hungry people when all this food's going to waste.
3: Right. So. Uh, vast quantities of food are donated by these grower packers in California and they go to the California food banks. Um, But the ones that are close by are often saturated with these greens um, and the ones that are farther away, it takes fuel um, and logistical talent to get the supply to where it is needed in a timely way. And also these food banks, many of them lack space and, and more importantly, refrigerated space to hang on to this. So that's why... Um, Some of this food waste does go to landfill, but it's really a a tiny amount compared to what they do donate, and this farm waste is a tiny amount compared to what um, supermarkets and restaurants and you and me are sending into the trash bin.
1: Wow, yeah, and let's talk a little about that then. Uh, So what do we do on the supermarket level, on the retail level, and then as consumers? I mean, I guess as consumers, if we start thinking about this, maybe we can make some better decisions, not only when we decide what to buy, but how we're going to use it.
3: Yeah, so supermarkets are um, doing vast purges of their shelves and their produce aisles because of um, the dates on foods, which are not that closely linked to health as people think um, they're they're used to help there are some of these labels are about helping store managers rotate their stock um, but they're often moving food out the back to dumpsters because there's more food coming in and they've got to make room for it um, in the produce aisle they're constantly culling their food has to look perfect all the time um, their customers are picky and we've been trained to be picky um, and we're trained to see full shelves we we like this abundance. So this is a cultural thing, that this food is presented to us all the time. It's marketed to us, and it's beautiful. We respond to it, um, but but everyone expects a sort of perfection, and so supermarkets are, are getting rid of food. On the plus side, supermarkets are moving this, I'll say this in quotes, close to expiration food to food banks, um, Feeding America, which coordinates all the food banks in the U.S., is going to distribute 4 billion pounds of food to um, shelters and pantries, um, mostly donated from supermarkets and, and restaurants. So there is, there are things that can be done. Um, there are people who will glean this fresh food from supermarkets, so that's saving some of it from the landfill, um, like freegans, the dumpster mm-hmm. divers. And I went out with some of those people. And also I think supermarkets, as awareness is raising... Um, They're being more careful about it, but it's also a money-saving thing for them to order better and to move this food around better because the price to haul this food off to landfills is only going up. Um, At the consumer level, we can do a lot better job of planning our meals and making shopping lists and sticking with them. There's a saying in the the food waste world that you should uh, buy what you eat and then eat what you buy. (laughs) Sounds sort of simple, but... um, so shop carefully, learn to cook your food, and learn how to make use of all of it, eat it on time. If you can't eat it, um, you should learn some old-fashioned skills, uh, uh, you know, how to freeze things, how to process them into other forms that you can eat later. Um, understand those labels and don't be dumping your food just because the label says best buy. It doesn't mean it's, it's going to hurt you if, if you eat it today or, or tomorrow.
1: Well, and I mean, is this kind of the idea of this whole series through the National Geographic? Is to kind of It's got to be a cultural change. It seems like you may have to change hearts and minds to really make that effect because I think that the corporate world will go along with whatever people want. You see that in kind of their menu choices. So this would be another case if people aren't suddenly demanding it packaged in a certain way or a certain look and understand the reasoning behind it, uh, they're more likely to go along with this.
3: Well, yeah, I think that we can pressure other actors up the chain, but I think that that um, that you know, this whole notion of externalities and the social and environmental costs that aren't factored in—if uh, if we all had to pay for what we put in the trash, including supermarkets and the real cost of hauling waste away—you um, know, when we bury food waste in a landfill, it generates methane, which is a potent greenhouse gas, but we pay no penalty for burying this stuff. Supermarkets don't. But if that cost were part of it, then I think that would be a big driver, getting people to reduce the amount of food that is going off to landfills.
1: Well, I think the way we're eating now is a little different. You know, for a while there, everything was supersized this, or they want the biggest portions possible. More and more people really don't want that. Now, I I know you you talk about some restaurants out there that are actually offering smaller portions, which a lot of people really want.
3: Yeah, to have a choice. Um, TGI Fridays has... Has this program um, where you can have the standard size, or you can uh, get a smaller portion and pay less for it? <laughs> I mean, when people go out, and even when people shop, they're like, you know, these red peppers cost three dollars a pound. I'm gonna, I'm gonna look for the most. I'm mixing up two concepts here, but I'm gonna look for the most perfect one out there. And so, the one that has a little ding on it is going to be wasted. But when you eat out, you're paying a certain amount, and you want to get the most food for it. Uh, at a buffet, you load up your plate because you're paying for it. So. That has to change, but if people have more choices and they can save money by getting the right amount of food for, at the right time, yeah, that would be great. Another thing we can do is shopping locally at farmer's markets lets you buy the amount that you want, that you can make use of. You won't be buying an overly large cabbage yeah. because it's packaged and uh, you can't cut it up. You'll be buying the right size, and the food is also fresher, the shorter food chain, and so the, there's more vitality in the food when you get it. There's more days of life left in it.
1: Don't you think part of the thing is that there's, there's some stores out there, I don't have to mention names, but they're large warehouse stores where you, you buy intentionally large amount of things. Now, things like toilet paper and paper towels are fine because they'll last forever, but some people maybe buy vegetables or you know food that has a shelf life with it and because uh, it looks like such a great buy, and they end up throwing away half of it because they just don't get to it.
3: Yeah. Yeah. That that happens. <laughs> Although. <laughs> I don't shop at those places but do they sell a lot of frozen food because buying things frozen is a great way to to not waste food because you know yes. you could keep it for a long time but for the fresh food yeah I think it's a mistake to to uh, go for a bargain and um but here again if we had to pay for the real cost of wasting food most people don't have any added cost when they throw out more garbage I'm a proponent of pay as you throw that well, would also curtail <laughs>
1: overbuying. Well, I know, I know a lot of people in the waste uh, management business, and they believe this too because they have the same issue. They're, they're, they're told you know, they want to get down the amount that goes to landfills and stuff. The only way we can really do that is by, at some point, you've got to be aware of it. And it seems like in some cases, and it sounds like you've found this, the only way really to do it is to associate it with a monetary um, effect.
3: Right. Although some municipalities, um, I, I applaud them, There's, there is this growing movement of composting food and getting people to source separate their organics, whether it's yard waste or food soiled paper or food from the kitchen, separating it and um, municipal pickup or, um, and, and composting facilities. So that is a, a much better, it's much better for the environment to be making compost than generating methane in a landfill.
1: Again things like canning and, and as you say freezing I, you know I hadn't thought about that, but what a great thing if people just thought about things a lot of things, even things like cheese and so forth can be frozen and last much much longer and you don't have that waste.
3: right I think we need this return to home basic home ec- economics right you know people have forgotten how to cook and if they can cook maybe they don't know the best way to repurpose leftovers, how to make stock from bits of vegetables you won't eat, pickling and other forms of processing food for longer life.
1: Well, that's good to know. Well, last question, Elizabeth. You know, we talked a lot about the United States, and we have to take care of our problems here at home. How about internationally? Are other countries taking this as seriously? I know the U.K. has made it a national priority.
3: Um, yeah, the U.K. has. Denmark's doing a lot of good work on this. But um, there's a lot of problems in the developing world where the need for good, nutritious food is acute, and most of the food lost in the developing world comes at the upstream part of that chain on the farm and post-harvest. Um, and there the problem is lack of infrastructure and um, um, technology and communications. The roads systems aren't great, the rail, to get the food to market in a timely way and keeping the food fresh. And so um, local governments and non-government organizations, environmental groups from the U.S. are, are helping out in these communities with um triple uh triple layer grain sacks and small metal silos um, low-tech cooling equipment helping farmers and processors hang on to their food longer and transport it safely so it's not rotting in the sun or turning to mush getting jostled in sacks before it gets to market so um so people in the u.s and, and the whole international community is focusing a lot of attention on the developing world trying to get more of this food to market in good shape.
1: Well Elizabeth, as you said at the beginning of the show, uh, the key, the first key, is to let people know that there's really a problem and they perceive that and the best way they can do it I think is to write, you know, everything the National Geographic puts out on these kind of things are, are always really good because they're they tend to be very objective and they're, they're very detailed and you can really make up your own mind on it. So tell us, uh, where, where can we read this and how long is the series?
3: So there's been a series called The Future of Food. It's been running for eight months, and there is you can go to nationalgeographic.com and and read most of the stuff. But all the food stuff is aggregated at natgeofood.com, n a t g e o, food.com, and there are incredible photographs, stories from around the world, interactive stuff, videos, and all the usual uh, charts and graphs and (laughs) things that that Geographic does so well. So natgeofood.com.
1: We will go there. Thank you so much for being with us today, Elizabeth.
3: Thanks for having me on.
1: Please follow Vegas Never Sleeps on all social media platforms, which includes X, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks for listening. Today, this is Stephen Manchie reminding you, Vegas never sleeps.
2: Vegas, here we go! you have a car sitting around you want to get rid of then here's a great idea donate your car and help veterans and their families yes one fast call to the veteran car donation program and we will come and remove your car for free fast free towing and 24-hour response you can donate most cars trucks or suvs in most conditions the proceeds raised goes to help active military veterans and their families and you get a tax deduction all you need to do is make this free call Get rid of that old car and help the vets. We make it easy. Make this free call now and book your fast and easy pickup. Call the Veteran Donation Program now. Donate your car and help veterans and their families. Operators are standing by. Here's the number
0: 800 932 1176. 800 932 1176. 800 932 1176. That's 800-932-1176.
2: Attention
1: timeshare owners, call the timeshare exit hotline now. We can help you legally get out of your expensive timeshare contract. If you're fed up with the maintenance fees, learn how you can terminate your timeshare legally and permanently. Call right now for your free consultation. 800-803-5449. 800-803-5449. 800-803-5449. 800-803-5449.
0: If you're living with diabetes and using insulin, you know the pain of pricking your fingers over and over again. Ouch! Well, by wearing a small remote device called a Continuous Glucose Monitor, or CGM, you can reduce the pain of pricking your fingers. If you administer insulin three or more times per day or use an insulin pump, call now and learn how a CGM can help you. No more pricking my finger. No finger pricks. Convenience. They delivered it free and they took care of all the paperwork. You can reduce pain right away. Plus, it's accurate, easy to use, and helps you spend more time in range. And if you have insurance, you can get a new CGM at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Call now and get free shipping of your new CGM. Plus, we'll bill your insurance for you. 800-483-7217. 800-483-7217. 800-483-7217. That's 800-483-7217.